Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I've got Brian on the phone with me, and today we're going to be talking about From Dusk Till Dawn, the 1996 horror film directed by Robert Rodriguez, written by Quentin Tarantino, and starring George Clooney, Quentin Tarantino, Harvey Keitel, and Juliette Lewis. And this is a film about a group of people who find themselves holed up in a vampire den somewhere in Mexico. Um, Brian, is this your first time seeing this? I'm pretty sure it's Harvey Keitel. Oh, Keitel. Okay. All right. Thanks. I think. <laughs> I th- uh, yeah, no, right. this is not my first time seeing this. And surprisingly, this really took me down memory lane. I think I actually watched this a lot when I was young. Really? Okay. Young, In like- about like seventh grade, I had some friends who like... We always spent the night at one kid's house and he had older brothers. So it was a lot of like, that was my introduction to like horror movies and movies full of boobs and whatnot. Oh man. Yeah. As a middle school, I would have loved this movie. (laughs) It's like a dream. (laughs) When you, when you guys saw this, like, was it for, for like it being a horror film or more from like the action component side? Uh, I think it's a horror film. We watched quite a few horror films over at his house. Yeah. This one is a surprising genre. Like, I don't think we've seen that many films that combine, like, the action elements with the horror, like, the way this, this one does. Have we? Yeah, I mean, like, not only is it action horror, but it's kind of like a crime heist thriller at first. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then it transitions. Right, yeah, kind of like a cops and robbers, and then suddenly, like, brings out this horror element in the middle. Yeah, and it's pre- that's a pretty hard left turn. Yeah. It is, um, yeah. I, I, I don't. I think this is my first time seeing it. I mean, it's a, a film name I've heard about for like decades, but uh, never got around to actually checking it out. Um, so, were, were you guys like a big fan of this movie back in the day? I think we liked it. I, I remembered liking it, and I assumed going into it, I would like it again. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, and we'll find out if that's true or not. And then this was also a listener request. Is that correct? Oh my gosh, I completely forgot that it was a listener request. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's where uh, it came from. Yeah, I need to do the shout out. All right. I'll, find, to... I'll find that before we finish the episode. Okay. All right, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it seemed like a, a random pick, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad you picked it. <laughs> I can't keep anything straight anymore. I will blame 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think um, it was Connor. I'll, I'll check, I'll check. Okay, okay. Uh, so it looks like this is Robert Rodriguez's uh, fourth film. Um, since since this one, he went on to do other films like Faculty, Sin City, Planet Terror. Are you a pretty big Robert Rodriguez fan? Um, you know, I could take him or leave him. I guess I really enjoyed Planet Terror. Yeah, I'd be interested to see Sin City again, but I didn't care for it when I saw it in college. Yeah, and the Faculty was okay. Wait, you didn't care for Sin City? I didn't. I think if I saw it again, I might like it. But in college, I just like... You were over it. <laughs> I had no... I mean, a movie like that, like hyper-stylized, was just probably not a good thing for me to watch at that point. Yeah, yeah. That's that's crazy. I mean, I, I feel like that movie blew my mind away when it came out. It was, it was like so cool and like kind of like a dark comic book. And like, yeah, the visuals were amazing. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I, I was blown away by that one. Yeah, I, I really needed to rewatch that. I could see myself doing a 180 on that. Yeah, but I also kind of feel like I could do a 180 on it if I rewatched it, too. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, but we recently saw The Faculty. I mean, did, did you like that one? Yeah, I liked it. Didn't love it. It was yeah. fun. He's kind of uh, got, he like... He did Alita Battle Angel, too, which, like, really has a strong following. Oh, I haven't heard of that Some one. Some people are obsessed with that movie. 
Really? Also like a horror film? I think it's like an animated, like a very heavily computer animated action film. Okay, cool. Yeah, and he did like the Spy Kids too, I think one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one and two. Oh, okay. Or maybe not. I don't know. He, he definitely did one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like between this film, Faculty, Planet Terror, you kind of get a sense like he's got this horror blend of like a horror comedy action blend going on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, Even it's, Desperado had a similar vibe. It, it wasn't horror, but yeah, just yeah. like over the top extreme action. Yeah, yeah. There's like a certain level of cheese of uh, cheese to it, which makes it interesting. Um, this one, it does seem like it was a huge success, $59 million on a $19 million budget. That's, that's pretty wild. Well, you know, that's not that crazy profitable. Oh, really? It's like three times, you know? A lot of the movies we talk about, I mean, we tend to talk about hits, but... Yeah. You know, it's not uncommon for... I guess because the budget was so big. Yeah. But it's not uncommon for us to talk about movies that multiply their profits by five or ten. I guess you're right. This is kind of modest. If you're talking 59 million, it's not like triple digit uh, revenue there. Yeah, I guess it depends on what they uh, what the marketing budget was. I mean, it was. I'm sure it was still profitable, but I've heard, and again, I'm not an industry insider or anything, yeah. that like the general rule of thumb is that you need to triple right. the budget to uh, be profitable. And that's just to be profitable in the box office. There's still yeah, right. back-end stuff like DVD sales or even merchandising or video games or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, actually, sorry, yeah, I did the math wrong on that. that. That is like less than three times or like barely three times the, the return. Yeah. Um, but definitely like a cult following, would you say? Oh, yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Okay. Um, yeah, and this was, uh, Quentin Tarantino wrote the screenplay, but it was a story by Robert Kurtzman, um, oh. who is the K and KNB FX group. Oh, uh, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. He actually wrote the story for it? Yeah, he did. Damn, that's crazy. And then he hired Quentin Tarantino to write the screenplay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of a weird combination. Like, Quentin Tarantino uh, just writing it. Uh, he's not directing it. Robert Rodriguez is writing And then uh, Tom Savini's in this. And also, it, it sounds like he wasn't involved with the effects at all, was he? Savini? Yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. I didn't see his name in that uh, that little section. It was the effects were done by KNB, right. the FX group. Um I think back then they were going by Kurtzman, Nick Cantero, Berger, FX Group. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I didn't see Tom Savini's name in, in their... Uh, I don't think he typically works with their group, although it seems like they're all. it's all like a maybe a bit of a big family in the FX uh, yeah, maybe. area of the profession, but um, right. I don't think he overlaps with them that much. Okay, yeah. I, I just figured he was in this film, so he would be like having a, a heavy hand on the effects, but yeah, it doesn't seem like... Uh, he he, uh, he was involved with that. Yeah, there were some other like big-ish names that had small roles, like Danny Trejo, Fred Williamson, right. Cheech Marin, Tom Savini, Salma Hayek. Cheech Marin played three parts. I know that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so he was like the border guy. He was the guy at the front door. Who else was he? He was the guy who George Clooney's character was trying to meet oh. at the very end of the movie. Oh my god. <laughs> that's hilarious yeah wow yeah uh yeah pretty pretty heavy cast here i was surprised yeah and did you notice john saxon was an fbi agent who played the uh police i don't i guess he was a lieutenant who was nancy's dad in friday the 13th and then he was a lieutenant in uh 
Black uh, Black Christmas too. Oh, and he, in this one he was an FBI agent. Yeah. So which part? He's a, uh, definitely like a law enforcement. Oh, he was type. the guy on TV. Yeah. Yep. It oh, was very okay. brief. They, he was interviewed on the news. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what you're saying. So yeah, I feel like they had a lot of big names on this, but then like everyone was only on screen for maybe like I don't know, like four or five minutes. Yeah, yep. surprising. Yeah, uh, in- interesting approach there. Um, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. Well, I guess yeah, Quentin Tarantino. Let's talk about him. You like this guy? <laughs> I do, and, and it's interesting. Which we'll probably get down this road in a in a minute. Like. He seems like kind of a creep, <laughs> but um, I do think he makes really good movies and dialogue, especially like I think he writes really well. Yeah. Um, and I thought the script for this had a lot of uh, great dialogue that was pretty typical of him, and it was just a really good overall script. Yeah. What do you think of him? Uh, I agree. Yeah, I think as an artist, his like yeah, his writing, his directing, and like a lot of his earlier movies were like amazing. But uh, yeah, there's like kind of the skeeziness to him, and uh, there's one one scene in this which kind of resonates with like a, a recent story I heard. So where he's making like Salma Hayek uh, dance with the snake. Um, you've heard like the whole Uma Thurman controversy where he made her drive a car that like got in a wreck and like she's like permanently injured. Yeah. Yep. It, it kind of reminded me of that. Like he's, he puts like actresses uh, and probably actors too, but like just in kind of da- dangerous uh, situations. Right, like she was very terrified of snakes. Yeah. Well, and then another creepy thing is it's kind of open that he has a foot fetish. Oh, man. Uh, and Rose McGowan has, like, accused him of, like, fetishizing over her feet in public, like, talking openly Damn. about how great her feet are. Yeah, And yeah. then he, like, wrote... There's a scene in this where Salma Hayek, who's a stripper, goes over to him and pours beer down her leg and yeah. he, like, drinks it from her feet. Right. And it's... A, you know, whatever you can say what you will is that scene, but he wrote that scene for him. He and he, that was his role. Like he wrote his own role to be yeah. sucking on Salma Hayek's feet. Like, oh my god, <laughs> it's an extra layer of creepiness. And then this is, of course, produced by Miramax, which yeah. was Weinstein's company, right? And Quentin Tarantino is closely associated with Weinstein's, and it's kind of almost surprising to me that like Tarantino didn't go down in that whole fire too yeah yeah i know that is really surprising given like the closeness yeah and he um one other weird thing he did was like defend polanski this was years and years oh, ago yeah i feel like on howard stern he defended roman polanski for statutory raping a 13 year old yeah his defense being like that it, it was statutory yeah like oh she was down with it it wasn't like rape rape like it was consensual yeah. and yeah yeah yeah, I know. He's he's definitely said some pretty disturbing things. And uh, yeah, I feel like as a person, he's pretty controversial. Um, that, yeah. feet, that feet thing is really interesting. Cause I, I think uh, that comes up in another film or two. And I didn't realize like that's his uh, like a, a personal thing of his, too. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Um, so, dude, I don't think we've ever discussed this on the podcast before, but where do you stand on stuff like this, like separating the art from the artist? Like... Oh, yeah. Would it cross your mind to not watch this movie because of that and, like, furthermore, to not cover it on a, our podcast, like, give it press? Uh, no. You know, I just had this conversation over the weekend about uh, Taylor Swift and, like, uh, you know, her new album is great, but, like, I, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of her. Um, but in general, I feel like uh, it's I, – I personally like to draw a line between the artist and, like, the, the work of art and, like, view each separately. Like, you can like what they produce but not like the person. Like, I think that's 
possible but what do you think yeah i kind of agree as well like i think it gets murky and i I totally respect anybody who feels the opposite way like i I don't know that there's a clean right answer although some might get frustrated and say that yes there is right but so many other people work on this movie like it's it's um hard because especially when it's like someone who profits directly like yeah yeah directors oftentimes have deals where they get residuals or like a a share of the profits so like anytime you rent it you're essentially paying them and you're definitely paying like weinstein right right uh, as the production company but that's it's easier to me with like a business whose politics or social positions you don't agree with to like boycott that business true yeah and yes these are very much businesses but it's also a work of art right and so like when you throw it on the fire you also throw away like the great makeup effects by k&b and a great performance by george clooney and just like a piece of history because it it influences film like future films and the roles that these people get and the careers of these people like yeah totally yeah i know part of salma hayek's rise to stardom too like right um yeah, it's it's tough. It, it gets the lines get blurred, and I personally, right now, and I could see myself maybe going the other direction on it at some point in the future. Feel like it's still okay to talk about these things. It's still okay to see the films, and I think yeah. maybe sometimes people like are either going the route of screw that, like we're going to cover the movie and not even care and not even mention it, or sure. like nope, I'm not even touching that movie. But I think maybe like for yeah. me, the right path is watching the movie but then talking about it sure yeah like bringing up the issues that have been called out yeah and some people might be just sick of hearing about it and not even want to like yeah talk about stuff like that which i i understand too if movies are a distraction for you but yeah it definitely uh puts a bias in your mind like when when i'm watching this and i'm seeing quentin tarantino on screen like in in the back of my mind i'm thinking about like those stories and in this one like his character kind of lines up with like the things like that we know about him now and, this uh, one is especially hard to like compartmentalize because he's yeah. playing a sexual deviant, like a predator and a rapist. Right. And so uh, there's that. And the fact that, you know, he wrote his role to be able to do something that he like fetishizes over. Yeah. Yeah. That's really um, messed up. <laughs> so yeah, both of those things plus the Weinstein and then, um, Fred Williamson, who was also in VFW, mm-hmm. he was accused of harassment on the set of VFW too. So it was just like a lot oh, of oh, no kidding, really. There's a lot of stuff now, and then on top of that, the characters, the female characters in this movie are very one-dimensional. Sure, yeah, and like it's largely just based around seeing a bunch of boobs at a strip club. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. Yeah, I it's know, hard it's, to not think about those things when you watch this movie. I know, I know, it is. It, it, those things, especially in this day and age, like feel very problematic. Um, obviously, not like when you're in middle school, though. I mean, that, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, but, yeah, and I, I totally get, and I, I just want to like send my like feelings out to anyone rolling their eyes at us. Like, people are very done with like the younger generation and we're 36 so we're not i don't even know if that qualifies like <laughs> yeah. taking these hot takes on movies that came out in the 80s or like 90s like oh yeah uh here's why this is problematic and you get clicks yeah but um i, I think it's worthy to discuss but it, it's i think it becomes obnoxious when you feel like you're the one like breaking the news on this why this movie's problematic um, yeah but yeah i'm sure I there's know. enough out there yeah on it 
yeah, no, it's, it's definitely good to address these things uh, and like kind of realize it going into it. Um, I don't know. I kind of also have the impression that like every actor, or director, or whatever has got like some kind of pretty, uh, there's got to be a backstory, right? And so I don't know. I just think it's like a dangerous assumption to ever assume like anyone you like on screen or like whose work you enjoy like is like this perfect person too. Yeah, like, I mean, you cut out so much of, if you start doing that, you can erase like half of Hollywood history, yeah. probably more than that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, yeah, on that, uh, <laughs> any other uh, background uh, on this film? <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> I took it there and we wasted a bunch of time. <laughs> oh, no, I think um, called it out. Uh, not too much. There were some sequels, direct-to-video sequels from Dust Till Dawn 2, Texas mm-hmm. Blood Money in 1998, and from Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter in 1999. Now there's a TV series. Well, not now, but 2014 to 2016, there was a TV series. Yeah, are you going to check out that TV series? Uh, no, I generally don't care about horror TV for whatever reason, but uh, yeah. are you? how about you? Uh, I might check out an episode or two, uh, just, just out of care. I, I think Tom Savini is actually in it. Um, oh, is he? Okay. And they were, they were produced and directed by Rodriguez. Oh, cool. Okay. I think it expands on the uh, like the backstory a bit. Sure, like a prequel or something? Yeah, like focuses more on that like strip club and the vampirism and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think they could be cool. Right. Yeah, I guess the direct-to-video things were both prequels. I don't know if this series is or not. Interesting. Okay. Um, you got to know how connection for us? Yeah, from our friend Alex, who owns and operates the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. You can swing by there safely in your car and pick up some beer or wine or food. Just order it at jukeboxcle.com beforehand. Alex always connects these movies to Ohio for us because that's where Ashvin and I are both from. And Alex says, mostly a television actor at the time, this movie was the launchpad for George Clooney's film career. After this film, he went on a high-profile run, which included the films Batman and Robin, The Peacemaker, Out of Sight, and Three Kings. Though mostly celebrated as a Kentucky kid, Clooney's family moved to Ohio in the mid-60s, spending time in Worthington, Ohio, outside of Columbus, and Mason, Ohio, in the Cincinnati area from roughly 1968 to 1974. Wow. That's awesome. got a date range on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Now he's, like, got a home on, like, Lake Cuomo or something in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, you like George Clooney? I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I generally enjoy his work. And uh, yeah, I think before this, he was just like an ER or something. Yeah. And fun fact, um, Quentin Tarantino directed an episode of ER in 1995, the year before this film was released. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wonder if like that was like a, a very different episode. <laughs> I'm just interested to see. <laughs> right? That's kind of surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. All right, cool. Well, yeah, anything else uh, before we talk about the plot and the spoilers and review the film? No, I think that's all I got. We can proceed. Okay, cool. Um, before we do, do you mind if uh, we pause for a minute? I, I got to just uh, adjust my clothes a little bit. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. Sure, man. Go for it. All right, cool. Thanks. Hey, Brian, I'm back. Yeah, everything okay? Yeah, my, my crotch pistol was kind of pulling down uh, on my pants, so I had to just kind of tighten the belts a little bit. It's a lot of, a lot of weight on the waist. 
Yeah, that'll do it. Right? How do you how do you keep yours in place? <laughs> I just made it really small. Oh. About the smallest model. Damn, I got like the biggest one. <laughs> it's, Give, it's a I'll lot have to carry one on. of your smallest penis guns, please. <laughs> yes. That probably makes a lot more sense rather than like a <laughs> rifle down there. <laughs> it's not working out too well. <laughs> Uh, that was fun to see. I, I guess uh, that was also in Desperado, maybe? Oh, was it? I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, I thought I read that somewhere. But it might be right. I don't think I've actually seen Desperado, have you? Yeah, honestly, I think it was at that same kid's house that I saw from Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> this guy had the hits. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, we'll jump into the plot here. We're going to hit some spoilers. Um so this movie kicks off, they're at this uh, roadside uh, convenience store. The sheriff is talking to the convenience store owner, or the guy working behind the register. And it's like a pretty racist conversation up front where they're like talking, bad-mouthing like some other character that we don't see. Um, did, that, did that strike you as a little odd? Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they have to run out. And like kind of just offensive. It was like a, yeah. a mentally impaired person that they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Offensive. That's probably an offensive term now. But um, yeah. It also had like a. I did like this scene. It had a very like Coen Brothers vibe. Sure, like just starting with like a dialogue, basically like a casual conversation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's interesting yeah. too when it's like these characters in this town probably would be having a pretty offensive conversation. So I guess yeah, and, it, and like especially for like a Quentin Tarantino written film, like I, I feel like this is what he does. Yeah, yeah. By yeah. the way, this sheriff was Michael Parks. He was the guy, the villain from Tusk. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't recognize him. Okay. So the sheriff mentions that there's some robbers who've just looted a bank and are headed down uh, their way, um, just, you know, making casual chit-chat. He goes to the bathroom, and the camera pans to show that uh, this guy, Seth, who's George Clooney, and Richard, who's Quentin Tarantino, they're hiding out in the store, and they've got some hostages. Uh, they were the robbers uh, that the sheriff was talking about. And they're threatening the clerk that uh, not to give them away, uh, or else they'll kill him and the cop. So uh, when the sheriff comes back out, um, Quentin Tarantino blows the, the sheriff's head off, and then uh, he's because he was convinced the cashier was like alerting them that uh, him and uh, his brother sat there hiding in there. And then there's this big shoot off that goes on in the convenience store, like a pretty heavy action that ends with the convenience store owner guy uh, getting lit up in flames and, and the whole place just kind of blowing up while Seth and Richard uh, leave the store. Uh, what did you think of this opening scene? I thought it was great, man. Like it was really tense at first when once you realized that Seth and Richard are in there like holding hostages at gunpoint. Yeah. Uh, I thought the performances were all really good. Like yeah. Michael Parks especially. And, uh, and then it just went like all out balls to the wall and it was a lot of fun. And, yeah. uh, you got some good, it was a good intro to the dynamics between Seth and Richie. Like Richie's just like very much letting his own impulses, like screw everything up. And Seth, right. his brother's just like trying to be the reasonable one and not make everything a big mess. Yeah. Um, and that was just kind of an ongoing thing throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah, I like how they set that up there, and you immediately get that impression that that Richard's like the kind of like there's something wrong with him because uh, he like made up that the cashier was like mouthing uh, help to the the sheriff and stuff. So you kind of yeah. get the sense he's pretty unhinged. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then these guys, uh, I I agree. That was that was a really fun opening scene. 
uh, and, and love that conflict there. So then these guys uh, head out to motel, uh, and they're trying to lay low and figure out how they can cross the border. They've also got this hostage, uh, a woman from the bank that they had robbed uh, with them. And uh, when uh, Seth leaves, uh, Richard, who's Quentin Tarantino, calls uh, this hostage to come sit with him on the bed. The next time we see her, it's just like her dead body. And I think she'd been raped too, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I, it, knowing Richie's MO, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah. I think some of this early stuff was like pretty disturbing, like what, what Richard was like doing, I think. I was very disturbed by Richie's character. Yeah. He's kind of like this, uh, yeah, the, he's, he's a, I think he's a rapist and uh, kind of like assaults women and stuff. So, yeah. It's pretty, and they pretty made it very disturbing when like Seth came back and found the scene that had just happened. Like, yeah, they were doing really quick cuts to just like some of the blood splatter and like minute zoom ins on the details of the gory scene. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. Just like flashes and that like even for Seth, this was like a traumatizing thing to see. Yeah, that was a really interesting editing choice because, yeah, it was just like very subliminal, like really quick flashes of like this murder scene. Yeah, there was some interesting editing throughout. Yeah, yep. Uh, I think uh, Rodriguez edited this as well. Oh, okay, cool. That makes sense. Um, So meanwhile, uh, we're also introduced to this family who's on a road trip. Uh, It's a father, Jacob, and his two kids, um, Scott and Catherine. And uh, they are on a road trip. I, I'm not sure where they're heading, but he's basically an ex-pastor. And after his wife died, he's basically abandoned his faith. And so he's just on the road with his kids. They stop at the same hotel and are taken prisoner by Seth and Richard. We get another kind of creepy scene of Richard eyeing up the the young daughter, who I assume was like supposed to be like a kid, right? Um, I'm not sure. She was like 23 when she... Oh, oh! The actress was. Yeah, and there was a drinking scene. I feel like they may have mentioned if she was twenty-one or not. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, maybe you're right. He was like more insistent on his young son not drinking than her. So maybe, maybe she was twenty-one. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, you get a creepy scene of like Richard checking her out and like imagining that she's like talking to him and like kind of egging him on. So I, I think they're really hitting on like how sick of a character Richard is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Seth basically tells them that they have to, this family has to help Seth and Richard sneak across the border, otherwise they're going to kill the family. And uh, the family obliges, and we get some more dialogue and conversation, mostly between Seth and uh, the father, Jacob, um, basically just kind of like telling each other their story and some great like character reveals. I actually thought the dialogue uh, was pretty good. What, what did you think? I thought the dialogue was great, and I thought, so... Not only did Richie and Seth have a good dynamic, or an interesting dynamic, I should say, mm-hmm. but Seth and the pastor had a really great dynamic because it was just yeah. like, it was almost like Jacob was really trying to like keep things. He was always trying to like be a peacemaker to a degree, right. but like also follow his own morals and guidance without endangering his family. Right. So he was yeah, walking yeah. the line. But yeah. he also had kind of like a fatherly type role to uh, Seth. Yeah. Like, uh, I thought it, their their relationship was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that one a lot. Uh, and you could tell like Seth like really uh, liked him and um, saw something in him. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, he definitely uh, found like a, yeah, some, some kind of hope or something in him. Uh, it was an interesting bond that they had there. Yeah. 
Um, so they get across the border, and Seth tells the family that they have to uh, go to this rendezvous viewpoint where um, Seth and Richard are going to wait for to, to meet their colleague, who's going to take them out to El Rey. Um, and this rendezvous point is called the Titty Twister, which, uh, wh- what is this place, like a bar or like a strip club, or wh- what did you make of this? Yeah, it was like a giant strip club, but it was like such so very much in the middle of nowhere that it was... Uh, just a very big hangout with a lot of regulars. Okay, yeah. Yeah, pretty interesting spot. Um, so at this bar, they get into a fight with the uh, the doorman on the way in, and then they kind of ruffle some f- feathers with the bartender. Um, these guys come back in uh, while Salma Hayek is on stage doing a dance, and they start to pick a fight with uh, Seth and Richard, and uh, Seth and Richard gun them down. But then I think these guys get back up and you kind of at that point realize that they're vampires. Is that is that when you find that out? Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, so then we have this like intense battle fight where like everyone who works at the bar and all the regulars reveal themselves and their faces like switch and they become these vampires and um, there's all this like fighting going down. Um, like the band on stage is like playing human body parts. Was, was that what <laughs> that was? I can't, yeah, the guitar turns into just a human body. It's like yeah. the legs are severed and then one of the legs is stuck right into the middle. <laughs> that's so weird where a crotch would be to be like the shape of a guitar it was very silly but also pretty gross yeah 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 all the effects are like felt like kind of comical but then also like yeah gory and like over the top yeah yeah for sure and it was all practical except for when the like i think the transitions from like a normal face to a vampire face yeah like they were cgi but yeah i I feel like the 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 character would kind of pause and you'd see their face transform and then yeah, you could tell those CGI, I guess. Yeah. Um, so at one point, Richard gets bitten, and he transforms, and Seth has to shoot him. So now we're down to Seth, uh, the family, um, and then Tom Savini, who's this guy called Sex Machine, and the vet uh, who's named Frost, and uh, what was that actor's name? Who plays him? Fred Williamson, who is a Vietnam vet in this movie and in VFW. Yeah, I was going to say he's like a Vietnam vet in like every movie he plays, basically. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Tom Savini is a real Vietnam vet. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. Um, so they're freaking out a bit, and like outside, like all these bats are showing up. Um, Sex Machine, like while they're walking around, like kind of killing all these vampires, gets bitten, um, and eventually he turns and attacks Frost, who throws him out of a window, and then all the bats come in and attack everyone, and so Frost gets killed. So, uh, and, and the, the dad also gets bit, I think, in all this action. And so basically all the characters end up in this back room hold up. And um, at this point, uh, the father kind of goes through this transformation where he realizes he needs to get back into the faith to be able to, like, bless, uh, you know, the, the water and the, 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 the cross so that they can be used as weapons against vampires, which I thought it was cool. They went, like, old school with, like, the vampire weapons. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Like holy yeah. water, water balloons and super soakers and stuff. Yeah. And like a shotgun, like in the shape of a cross, basically. Yeah. That was really cool. He was like holding the shotgun vertically with a bar across the middle and using that bar to like cock the shotgun. And yeah, that was pretty badass. There was a lot in this movie that was just deliberately put in there to be badass. Uh, yeah. And it worked and it was effective. Yeah. I, I feel like this was like very stylized action uh, and it was pretty yeah. cool. Um, I think Catherine comes out with like uh, a bow and arrow and maybe the bows are blessed. And then I forget what, uh, did Seth have like a flamethrower or something? Oh no, he had like a, a gun that looked like, what was that? 
like a drill. It was or like a giant like drill, like a boring drill with a wooden stake on the end. Yeah. Oh, it is a wooden stake on the end. Okay. I think. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so they come out and they, there's this big battle between them and this like horde of vampires that have come in as bats. And uh, in this battle, uh, Sex Machine, who's been turned into a vampire, now turns into a giant rat, like a vampire rat, and they have to kill him. And then uh, Jacob uh, turns into a vampire and, and gets killed, but he ends up biting his own son. And so Catherine, uh, his daughter, has to kill uh, her brother, basically. So uh, now you're down to like Catherine and Seth, and uh, sunlight sunlight starts coming in from outside uh, through the bullet holes, and that's starting to kill off some of the vampires. And then finally, Seth's business partner shows up, uh, and he opens the door, and all the sunlight comes in and kills the remaining vampires. Um, any like big action sequences you want to call out there? Um, no, nothing specific. It was all just like a really fun action romp to me. Um, yeah, gory, silly. Uh, not necessarily suspenseful, but but fun. Um, the only line I'd like to call out is like, once everything dies down, Cheech, the guy who was like he was supposed to meet, was like, "What was that? Were they psychos?" And George Clooney's <laughs> character is like, "Psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them. I don't give a <laughs> yeah. fuck how crazy they are." Yeah, yeah. And it was just his delivery. It was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved uh, George Clooney's like, like I said, that that character the whole time, but just kind of like even in the middle of it, he's like, "Well, I know vampires don't exist, but I think these are vampires," and like kind of rationally like talking it out through. I, I thought it was very like relatable. Yeah, I mean, he was a very George Clooney type role, like his Ocean's Eleven type role, almost like very yeah. suave and cool and casual under pressure and like on top of everything, but clever and funny and snarky, and it was yeah. it was cool. Yeah, yeah, it's fun to see him there in action. Uh, so yeah, the movie ends with um, Seth joining up with uh, his colleague, and they're headed off to El Rey. Uh, meanwhile, like Catherine, she gets left behind with some cash, and she gets in the RV and drives off. And we see the titty twister, but from the backside, where it turns out the titty twister was actually an Aztec temple the whole time. And so I guess probably like some kind of tomb for vampires or something. Is that what you assume? Yeah, and I think they build out on that later, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then, like, you see, like, throughout, like, that temple scene, just all these old trucks and stuff that's been discarded, so it kind of insinuates that they've been picking off truck for truckers randomly as they come and then just ditch the trucks behind the building. Oh, yeah, there's, like, a landfill of, like, all these trucks and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That was a fun way to uh, to wrap up the movie. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Nice way to tie it out. Like, oh, man, this whole time that strip club bar thing was actually uh, so some this, this, like, trap as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what did you think uh, 20 years later? Was it, was it Has it been 20 years since you've seen this? Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. at least. Sure. What, what, what were your thoughts this time around? I thought it was a lot of fun. Like, it was, I mean, it was a Quentin Tarantino script, so it was skillfully written. The dialogue was really sharp and good and clever. There were good relationships. Um, the dynamics between characters were good. And then, so that part of it engaged me for the first half or two-thirds of the movie, and mm-hmm. I found really interesting and enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, even without any horror elements. And then when the horror happened, it almost like went from a Quentin Tarantino movie to a Robert Rodriguez movie. Like, it was oh, almost yeah. like the Grindhouse thing. Yeah. Um, yep. And then it just got bonkers and fun. And... That part got 
I, I loved a lot of it and it was super entertaining. It maybe went on for like five or ten minutes too long. Oh, okay. You're talking about like the battle scenes? Yeah, yeah. And then sure. with the ending, I felt like they all that cool relationship stuff that they had built up just kind of uh, wasn't wrapped up that effectively or like yeah. kind of dissolved. Like really important characters die who had nuanced right. relationships with the other characters and those death scenes really could have been more interesting. Yeah. Uh, like more drawn out or something. Yeah, or just like more drama between the characters or dialogue that really wrapped up some of the earlier stuff between them. Um like probably the most the one they did that with the most with was when Richie died and Seth was like mourning his loss. Oh yeah. Um but you know the whole family dies except for Juliette Lewis's character and she doesn't yeah. even like mourn their losses that much. And I know. there seemed to be a really big a really cool dynamic between Jacob the pastor and George Clooney's character Seth, like right. almost like a spiritual mentor type thing or like a fatherly relationship, but nothing happened there that like put a bow on that or capitalized yeah. on that for dramatics purposes yeah. when the death of Jacob happened. Yeah. Um there was very little like drama which I felt like did not honor the first half the first like more nuanced half of the movie does that make sense yeah, it does yeah that part, that part felt really weird to me at the end like I mean basically this girl is coming out or this woman uh, Catherine she comes out at the end she's lost her entire family and yeah these are characters that you know we had like great dialogue scenes with and interesting relationships built out um, they've just been like killed in like in minutes and like no real drama around that and then even at the end like she doesn't seem like too phased by like just having lost her whole family in like the last uh, few hours and basically she's like all right where are we go like take me with you to al rey or whatever um that, yeah. that was like a really kind of weird way to tie up like every every emotional aspect of the characters that have been built up till then yeah and i liked her emergence at the end of as like really competent and like um participating in the action quite a bit in the battle yeah. scenes but then yeah there she like any opportunity to like capitalize on who she was or her relationship with other characters yeah just it wasn't touched upon yeah did uh you know at the end i, f I feel like uh seth comes out uh he's meeting the the business associates and um he's basically just saying well you know i deserve a bigger cut given like what we just went through um do you think the intent there was to make you realize like oh, this guy was just uh out this whole time for the money and like all those relationships he built with jacob with the family and stuff kind of didn't mean anything to him I think he, the relationships did mean something to him and he was like a person of his word. Uh, yeah. cause he does that a couple times. Like I give you my word and Richie tends to fuck that up. Yep. So I almost felt like there could have even been more catharsis with him, like losing Richie, like it's kind of like his ball and chain, like pain in yeah. the ass, but also like person he loved. Yeah. Right, um, right. but I, I do think they kept that true to his character cause Juliet Lewis like wanted to go with him and I think part of the reason he said no was like, I can't like get you into this, like go home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause I yeah. think he did respect her family and her. Sure. Yeah, I guess, I guess I, I was kind of conflicted. I mean, you're, you're right to some degree he had his like principles and that's what you saw there at the end. Um, like yeah, her, him letting her go and not like dragging her further into this. 
but uh, on the other hand, I felt like it almost like kind of cheapened him in a way because uh, he's just talking about money again, basically, and what percent of the cut he's getting after like he just went through like this horror bloodbath uh, where you lost your brother and and this family. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean he's he's humanized a bit throughout the movie, but he is also just like a cool, cold, logical yeah. criminal who who has done horrible things for money. Sure, sure. Yeah, I guess I guess that's what he comes out as as well. That makes sense. Yeah, um, did, did you feel like did, did you feel like it was scary at all? Uh, no, but I really enjoyed the vampires, like the effects and the appearance of them and stuff. It was fun. How about yeah. you? Yeah, same. Yeah, it was, it was fun to watch the action uh, go down. But yeah, yeah, I don't think this movie played up uh, any scares or anything for the most part. Which I mean, it could have. Like they could have been like more jump out scares, but it doesn't seem like that's what they were going for or anything. Yeah, or even just more like tension um, before yeah. the vampire reveal. Yeah, could have worked out well, but uh, it was fine. Yeah, I was surprised like how quickly like it just turned from like one movie into another. It was just no like uh, build up or anything, just like switching gear right away. Yeah, yeah, it did. It's funny. Um, yeah, uh, what did you think of like the effects? I feel like those played a big role in this film. I thought they were really good, aside from like a little bit of cheesiness when they the faces would switch from a normal face to a vampire face but yeah. other than that it looked good gore was good and uh the vampire faces looked good yeah yeah i agree i, th- I thought for like an, a late 90s film uh the gore was like pretty reasonable yeah um uh side okay. note uh, um alex one of the times i came back to ohio handed me a copy of the cleveland scene magazine mm-hmm. uh and had alan a makeup guy called alan tusks on the cover yeah uh, and he's like, just in case you ever need this for an Ohio connection. And uh, he did the molds for this movie. Oh, Alex Tusks? Alan Tusks. T-U-S-K-E-S. Okay, cool. He's a Cleveland and native. Did they also work on the movie Tusk? Yep. They did? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. At least <laughs> Alan Tusks did. Or maybe it's Tusks or Tuskes. I don't know how he pronounces yeah. it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember, I think we've talked about him once or twice before on this podcast. Yeah. Um, did you feel like they made effective use of like the guest stars that were on this? Like you had like such big names uh, that were like peppered in throughout for a few minutes. Like, do you feel, you feel like that was effective? Yeah, sure. And I mean, they weren't really even that big. Like, they're big to horror fans, and especially now, twenty years later, when they've been in even more stuff. But yeah, they're not that huge in names. Boy, I've got some crazy thunder here. Sorry if there's background noise, people. Oh wow, bad storm. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I mean, I was I, I was kind of wishing I saw more of Salma Hayek. I feel like she kind of had a throwaway role where she just came on, did a dance, and then turned into a vampire or whatever, and then uh, I think she was killed pretty quickly, too. Yeah, uh, it was a shame how, how short her screen time was, and I think her character specifically, they go into more background on that in one of the movies. I don't know that she's in the other movies, but that was something I read. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I, I could see more of her. That'd be great. Uh, well, yeah. So, what? Uh, how many vampire rats uh, would you give this one? I get, yeah, the rat. I didn't understand why there would be a rat. <laughs> I know there's some things um, that just felt like really random, right? Yeah, yeah. There were definitely things where like that's like in the, as the action got gorier and sillier. It was there was a couple things where it was like that's even more silly than I would have expected. <laughs> yeah, like the pistol um, gun. Yeah. <laughs> or the, the yeah the, 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 the yeah crotch the pistol penis gun. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, I give it a four out of five vampire rats because the beginning had 
that intrigue and nuance going to it that was awesome and then it broke out into this super fun gore fest and yeah i thought both of those were really well done a few minor uh drawbacks things that i would take another take a star off from which i already sure. discussed but uh it's a really fun movie and you think like it holds up uh like what like 24 years later yeah i do i do i mean okay. it, it may not hold up by like woke standards but as a, as a movie <laughs> i think it really holds up yeah 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 uh yeah i i'm close i i had a three and a half uh because yeah it is like a really fun watch and like pretty entertaining and um i, I like that it's like kind of feels like a fun crime film on the front a, cr- a fun uh, crime film on the front end and then kind of devolves into this uh fun like vampire film on the back end uh, and yeah, the dialogue and the characters were all pretty great. I do worry about like some of the, uh, yeah, wokeness of it. Like, I'm not sure if it, um, holds up, uh, like a lot of the dialogue. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit problematic at certain parts, but, um, I guess you got to look, overlook that a bit since it was like the late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely some, some slurs and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, cool. Anything else uh, to add on this one? No, I think that was all. It was Connor. I double-checked who requested this, so thank you, Connor. It was really fun to to watch this again, and uh, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, yeah, fun one to get into again. Or yeah, yeah for the first time for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, cool, cool. Um, all right, well, that's it for our discussion on From Dusk Till Dawn. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help everyone else find our show, and we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join our discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We're going to be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We also have a Discord server where we're chatting up with some other listeners uh, and other horror fans, so you can find the link to that on our websites. We also have a Patreon page in case you want to throw some change our way. You can find that at patreon.com slash horrormovieclub. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart, so check out on etsy.com. Our Ohio connection is from Alex Budin, who runs a jukebox bar out in Cleveland. And uh, until next time, if you're planning a place to do a rendezvous with a business associate, uh, always check Yelp first uh, and maybe do it during the daytime and not overnight. <laughs> Just search Aztec Temple on the Yelp page. <laughs> Best Aztec Temple in time. And vampire. Uh, yeah. <laughs>